everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by Cody Pastor, Alison Grunendijk. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's so interesting here in the second week of Advent uh, that we have Carol lovingly reminding us that when the hosts of heaven showed up, that was terrifying to these people. I think we forget that. And, you know, it's also easy to hear that word, host of heaven, um, and maybe think something other than what it means. But actually, the Greek word for host here is stratia, as in strategy. And so it's, it's reminiscent of the armies of God. And I know that most of us probably don't think when an army shows up that it's going to be a party, right? We're thinking, no, they're in town to get business done, fight a war, take care of the enemies. And here in this passage, we're reminded, no, when, when the armies of God show up, when the heavenly hosts arrive, they are proclaiming peace on earth. They're showing us the world behind the world that we can see. And they say that world is glory in the heavens and it means peace on earth. And I'm wondering if that feels true to you today. Does the glory that God has in the heavens actually mean peace right now on this earth? Or maybe another question to ask yourself, have you made your peace yet with the year 2020? I'm guessing you haven't uh, because it's December and we all find ourselves in a pandemic trying to anticipate and wait for Christmas to come while disease is spreading rampant and it's literally separating us. The coronavirus has given us much to grieve and I know that you're sitting here thinking probably, why are you talking about grief? And yes, this is not going to be your typical Christmas sermon, so to speak, but you know what? This year has not been a typical year either, so just hang with me. I think it's going to be a significant morning together. So like I said, the coronavirus has given us so much to grieve this year. We've had so much loss. There's been systemic loss. And by that, I mean loss of all the systems that we all know and use and know that they work in our world. And the world is made of so many systems. I mean, government systems, school systems, church systems, family systems. Can you hear me? Great. And um, I hope you know that church is a family. And I I know that my family system has been really shaken. I know that you guys have had to rethink everything. All the ways of doing and being that you were used to has been interrupted and changed through this coronavirus. And so even here at the Vineyard, you notice we've had to rethink every single way of staying connected, of staying engaged, of being together, of praying, of caring for people, of hearing from God, of having the Holy Spirit come and and be with us. All of those things had to be rethought. 
And you know, people have experienced loss of role. I just want to say, like, to you who are students, oh my goodness, what does it mean to be a student right now? That's a really hard question. What does it mean to be a teacher this year? Uh, for me, what does it look like to pastor in a pandemic? Um, and, and on top of that, we've got the loss of function. So just even those routines that I use to stay healthy, my exercise, the ways that I've tried to eat better have, have changed and gone out the window to some degree. And you know what? If you've managed to escape all of that loss, let me tell you about some more. <laughs> there is this sense of almost an, a psychomatic kind of loss, an existential loss, the loss of our hopes, our dreams, and our plans. So this year, I've heard about vacations being canceled, weddings being postponed, birthdays done in quarantine. I know my house had several of those. And probably one of the hardest I've seen is funerals on Zoom. Just take a minute to think about that is the way we've lived life. And you know what, guys? We are making it. We're making it. We're here. We're getting through it. But again, we've arrived at this second week of Advent together looking for some peace amongst those just layers of loss. And I don't remember the original source of this. Someone wise said to me once, you know, Allison, all change has to be grieved as loss. So any change in your life is really a loss, right? Things were one way and now they're another way. Even if it's something happy that's coming into your life, there's still a loss of what was before that thing. So change is loss, and loss really needs to be grieved. And so uh, this morning, we arrive at grief. And, you know, the rate of change in our world is so crazy right now that the grief is just piling up. And... It's not like the other hard things in our life just stop while we're trying to deal with a pandemic, right? Those things are all still there. So there are, there are losses that pile up in layers. And I want you to know today, you could define grief in many, many ways, but I want you to remember today, grief is the presence of absence. It's the presence of absence. I think that's a really helpful way to describe and define that this morning. So I want you to just think for a minute, what is gone from my life now that I had six months ago, maybe even eight months ago? Who or what is absent in your life today? Who's going to be gone this Christmas? Who was with you last year? All right, so against my better judgment, I am bringing back the eggnog analogy. Thank you, Amos. So last week, Amos showed you this eggnog, and we talked about glass half empty, glass half full, and hope. And I was not the glass half empty or glass half full person. I was the glass half gross, which I think I heard somebody say. I do not like eggnog. So if you do, you may have to just suspend your opinion on eggnog for a moment to make this analogy work for you, okay? But here we go. We're going to let some of this 
just slide all over here. Eggnog to me represents a sort of suffering. <laughs> I would not want to drink this, so I'm just going to swirl it around and give it a good shake here. Okay, but in all seriousness, this is a little bit what grief and pain can look like and feel like in our life. Mind, body, and soul can feel a little chaotic, and it can feel a little murky. Everything gets clouded. Your, your perception of reality is so distorted, you can't see through the fog. And so I want today for us to just think about how grief shows up. And, you know, your reaction to a specific struggle is super different than maybe even your closest friend. That's the challenging thing with grief. We all express it differently. Grief has so many different faces. I just want to mention a couple today that I see a lot in this coronavirus 2020 season. I see grief looking like anger. Statements like, I'm so mad, it's not supposed to be this way. And I know this is actually probably where my default is. That's where I go in my grief. And it takes me a while to realize, no, I'm actually sad because what I feel on the surface is really angry. And the thing about anger is that I've noticed it does not move me toward connection with people. It actually moves me away when I'm angry because anger is looking for someone to blame. And it gives me this false sense of control and strength but again, it's not actually helping me stay with you. It's making me feel, sometimes, you're the problem, right? And also, grief looks like cynicism. Just that sense of, well, nothing's going to get better anyway. This is all just worthless. What's the point? Or grief can look like numbness. I just don't feel anything. And I actually can't care about it right now. There's just a lack. All of those things are okay, but what I want you to hear this morning is maybe you walked in the door and you thought, I'm not grieving, I'm not sad about anything, I'm fine. Consider this morning, does anger and cynicism and numbness, do those things show up in your life, in your heart, in your interactions with people? Then I want to invite you to consider that you have something to grieve this morning. And it's not fun, and it's not easy, but if you avoid grief, it will come out sideways in all of those ways that we described. And I just think, what a year. Our grief-avoiding culture has collided with the coronavirus. And you know what? It is seriously hard. I I'm not saying it's not easy. It is seriously hard to stay present to all of the concern and all of the exhaustion that we feel, and because it's on this macro level. Like, it's like I have to feel for, for my kid and my parents and my teachers and my coworkers and the president and the world, and it just, it's overwhelming. And so I think what we do is we say, I'll show up in the world and interact with you in any way possible that I can other than deeply sad. I want to be anything but other than deeply sad. And I think it's because we don't know what to do with sad. 
So I imagine that some of these emotions that are rising up in you as you're hearing me say these things were also what the people of Israel were feeling when they were in exile. And the scripture passages for the second week of Advent this year in the lectionary, which is just a biblical calendar of scripture readings, happens to be Isaiah 40 and 2 Peter 3. And so I'm just going to read you a few snippets from Isaiah 40. It's a really long passage, but they'll be up on the screen here, or you can follow along in your Bible. So the prophet Isaiah says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. A voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. See, the Lord God has come with might. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother of sheep. So, the context here is exile. The people of Israel are in exile. And exile means separation. Separation from their home, separation from their church. And so for the people of Israel, that meant separation from their ability to even engage in Passover. Uh, But it's not only a physical separation from their land. They are in a place where they are separated from their families. Later in Isaiah 60, we get a glimpse of who was probably more likely to go into exile because we hear the return of sons and daughters. And I think that makes me think about how it was probably the young people that went away from their parents because they were more impressionable, the Babylonians could assimilate them into their culture more easily, but they were also way more able-bodied to do all of the manual labor that they were now being enslaved to do. And so when we read God saying, comfort, comfort my people, we have to remember these are families being separated. And I know that that resonates deeply with us this morning because we also are separated from our families. The people of Israel are in a place of deep and profound grief. And God says, I'm going to comfort you and I'm going to speak tenderly to you and give you my peace. And just as Jay and Carol read earlier, holy peace gives us the ability to have an inner calm when there is an absolute lack of outer calm insight for us. And to me, 
the best definition of peace is like this sense of equilibrium, of homeostasis, of settledness. Like things are calm, they're level, all is right. And I just love in this verse the image of the mountains and the valleys being made level. It's this beautiful picture of God saying the rough places are being made smooth and the curvy parts are being made straight and the uneven spaces are being made level. And that is when God will come and bring his peace. That imagery is drawing us to this state of equilibrium, of calmness. It's like he's saying, guys, I'm going to make a way that there's actually a terrain that you can traverse that's way easier than the the up and down that you're experiencing right now. And at the same time, God reminds us, your state is temporary. He goes on, he says, people are grass. Isn't that interesting when you read that? It's like, I really want to comfort you, so I'm going to tell you that you're like grass. That's not necessarily something I would love to hear if I was really hurting. But I think God's trying to say, remember, you're encoding what's happening right now as a permanent reality. And as people who follow Jesus, this is never our permanent reality. This is never our permanent home. There is always something better and bigger beyond. But it feels really permanent, right? Like the literal and figurative deaths that we've all experienced this year are so real. There's dreams that have not come true There's love that we've given out that hasn't been returned back to us. There's the baby you never had. There's the marriages that don't make it. There's the friends that have left. And God says, I am a shepherd. I feed you. I gather you up. I hold you close to me. He cares about your struggles. He knows every hair on your head. He knows when the sparrow falls. Why? Because he's a God of concern. He's a God of pursuit even. And the crazy thing is that verse in Luke 2 that Jay and Carol read to us talk about the shepherds who are tending their flocks by night and waiting for God to arrive. But the crazy thing is they're not the shepherds. They're the ones... God is coming to shepherd. They're the lost sheep. God is the seeker, not them. And he comes to bring peace on earth, and he says it's not just this destination someday, next year, 10 years from now, when you die. He says, nope, it's the path. It's not just the destination. It's the path of peace that I've come for you to walk. I'm making it flat because I declare peace on earth. The other scripture I mentioned to you that we often read this week is from 2 Peter 3. And Peter, it's interesting, he's writing uh, kind of his last will and testament because he's at the end of his life and he's not sure if he's going to ever see his friends again. And so interesting that he talks about uh, the end of the world. He talks about Jesus' return. He talks about when there's a new heaven and a new earth. And he says in 2 Peter 3, verse 11, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, 
what sort of persons ought you to be? In other words, since your grass and the grass withers, what sort of person should you be? And I really think the world tells us, like, well, live it up then. Like, this is all you got. You're gone. So just have fun. Don't care. Have a party, right? No. The answer here is in verse 13 and 14. It says, in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, while you are waiting, Strive to be found by him at peace. It's amazing. Peter's at the end of his life. He's reflecting on it all, and he says, gosh, I don't have very much time. What should I say to my friends? And I think he thinks, well, I have to address the most painfully obvious fact that Jesus has not returned yet. And Christians are starting to die. Even the apostles are now starting to die. And that's why he says just a few verses prior, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. So while you are waiting, while you are waiting, be found at peace. I think that learning to wait in uncertainty and loss can sort of feel like watching eggnog drip down the side of a glass. It's still not down, is it? It's still (laughs) gross. All right, well, imagine... Imagine that it's clear. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that when the pain settles in our life, it's not gone. It's still there. Those experiences that you've had that you would rather not have had, they're with you. They're part of your story. And you know what? They can actually be integrated because of the hope in Jesus that we have into a way that you will actually grow from because you had them. But unlike eggnog, it takes more than just time to heal. And you know what? We cannot short-circuit our way to peace. Can't shortcut it. In fact, I could try, right? I could like, I'm not going to do this, but I could reach my hands into this glass and I could try to like shove down the rest of this residue. But it's not going to fool you, right? Because you're going to see streaks all over the glass. And then actually, I'm a mess now, right? I'm a mess when I try to shove down my grief. And then everybody I touch gets a part of that goo. No thanks. So, my friends, what do we do? What do we do with the slow fade of grief? That's the question for for us this morning, I think. How do we break the cycle of avoidance? And I think the answer is really, is connection. You've got to participate. You've got to show up in your pain. You've got to get with somebody else who says, you are not alone. You have to move towards each other. You have to move toward people. 
and I have a few conjectures on why we don't do this. A few guesses. If you're the person grieving, I think it's hard to reach out because we are tempted to say to ourselves, well, my pain is not as bad as so-and-so, right? I can't share this because he's got it a lot worse. She's got it a lot worse. Or we think, you know what, I've tried. I've tried to share how I'm feeling, and what I get in return is judgment, or I need to fix it, or I need to analyze it and understand it. And on the other side, we just don't ask. We don't ask. And I think this is why, beyond just feeling super awkward, right? We're all really out of practice as Americans, I think, in this. Really out of practice asking, how are you today in your grief? Because I don't know that we know quite what to do with an honest answer. We're pretty used to hearing like, I'm fine, got it, doing all right, hanging in there. But if somebody actually told you, I'm not okay, we're not quite sure what to do with that. I heard, uh, I think it was a psychiatrist, psychologist, someone who was writing on grief, and she had worked with a lot of people, and she was interviewing them. Uh, and by and large, everybody said, people don't ask me how I'm doing, I think, because they think it will remind them or, or it will remind me of my pain. It'll, it'll like some way make me relive the situation. Like, I don't want to bring it up because maybe you're not thinking about it today and now I'm going to make you think about it again. But I've actually never had anybody say, bug off, Allison, I don't want to talk about it today. You know? Like, I know there's the exception. I know that that can happen and maybe it's happened to you. But I really think, from my experience sitting with people going through loss, and suffering is they feel what they're going to feel, whether or not you say something or not. They're still feeling that. And you may not have the right words to make them feel better, but the lack of saying something, you know, that it, it's actually not going to make it worse if you just offer up a, how are you really doing today? And when you don't know what to say, here's my best tip. Say, I know you're hurting. Hey, Kathleen, I know you're hurting. Hey, Marianne, I know you're hurting. You're not alone. Hey, Ray, I know you're hurting. I think it's the best thing you can say. Again, this is so counterintuitive, but there's actually really, really deep connection in shared suffering when we actually share it. And I know that Amos may have spoken some about this in one of his past talks to you, but um, before Isla was born, uh, was really it was, it was just a month before she was born, and it was really the first moment that Amos was able to finally open up to me about his feelings about the miscarriage that we had experienced prior to Isla. And it was a super lonely time for me. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm feeling all the things, and my husband's over here feeling probably all the things, but not ready to talk about it yet. And it was almost a year later 
And he said, we got to talk about this. I said, yeah. And so he said, I, I want to do a couple of things, Allison. I want to name the baby. And I want to go buy something to make this concrete for me. We have to do something to mourn. We have to embody our grief somehow. And so Amos went out, and he bought this really beautiful single white rose. And we took the rose down to, I think it's Brandywine Creek. can't believe I don't know the name of the creek that's right by my house. But the little creek by my house, we took it down there, and guys, it was a pristine day. It was perfect. It, was, it had just snowed, so there was just this fresh layer of snow everywhere, and no one else was there. It was just us because it was so cold that day, and we went up to the bridge, and we set the rose on the rail, and uh, Amos said a few words, and he said, Allison, do you want to say anything? And I, I just lost it. It just erupted. And, and just this overwhelming wailing sort of doubled over way. I couldn't speak. And, and it, was, it was so beautiful that in that moment he thought to step in when, when I couldn't. And he knew that I needed to, to name that and to sit in that pain and to grieve that. And so we sat there for quite a while. And then he said, are you ready? And I'm like, no, I'm not ready. But eventually we both took the rose and we dropped it over the bridge. And we watched it, the river take it away. And you know what? Every time I pass that bridge, I remember. It's right by my house. We see it often. Every time I remember. We need to somehow make our losses physical, and that's why we have gravestones. That's why we have urns. And you know what? For the most of the church's history, the cemeteries were on the church property. So every week when you came to church, you could remember. You could see those gravestones. You could see the names of those people, and you could remember. And what do we do now? I mean, most of us visit a cemetery maybe once a year on Memorial Day when we go and maybe honor a, a vet in our life or um, someone we've lost. But, but by and large, those cemeteries, those have been moved to the edges of the towns. That's where we put them now. And guess what? Nobody wants to buy the houses that are by the cemetery. Because we really would rather avoid pain. We don't want to look at it. But we really need to lift the shame and the privacy off our grief and speak tenderly to each other and remember that the things that feel the most personal, the most private, the most difficult to share, those are the things that actually resonate with each other, right? When you share them, they are resonant because they are so common to all of us. One of the best things that I have sat with recently in terms of thinking about grief is that it's really a way to love. When we don't let ourselves grieve, we're like, cutting off our ability to love and to embody a sense of love and care for that thing that we lost. That's, again, why when you see someone wailing at a funeral, that's an expression of such deep relationship, such deep love that was represented there. And I wonder if we can maybe move toward it and maybe not be so scared of it if we can remember that it's a way to love.
the secret of a life that's content, that's full of peace, is not to expel all the bad emotion. That's a lot of positive psychology would tell you. Just don't think bad thoughts. Go with the positive. We're fine. Peace is not the absence of bad things. It's the presence of God with us. It's a manual God with us, a God that offers you peace so that you can live into these really, really hard facts of your life with some stability, on level ground, with some equilibrium. There's really no other way to do this. St. Augustine said, God alone is the, the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And I think, just want to tell you this morning, the beautiful news about Christmas is that the peace of God cannot actually be eclipsed by anything, not even death. And Jesus shows us that. This Christmas, we get a God who says, you know what, I lost a son too. I lost a son too. And it wasn't by accident. It was a very intentional plan of mine to give him freely to you. Jesus died on the cross. His peace was drained out of his body so that we all could live with everlasting, never-ending peace in our hearts. So let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. God, we thank you that your peace goes beyond our understanding. And God, that your peace shows up even in the most tragic of situations when things are really unexpectedly ripped out of our lives, that you give us a way to guard and protect ourselves. And it's putting ourselves just directly in the center of your love and being held in your peace. Jesus, would you help us now to have courage to bring our losses and our grief before you this morning? Amen. Guys, when we give our words, or when we give words to our loss and to our grief, we are doing something that, as this author of this book, Honest Advent, says, we are wholeheartedly participating in the lives that we would not have chosen for ourselves. And we're going to head into a time of worship in just a minute, but we're also going to try something that I know feels a little vulnerable, but I think there's a lot of beauty in doing this together as a community. So if you are in our database, if we have your cell number, right now you're going to be receiving a text message, and it's going to be an invitation for you to respond to that text, text us back, and just put some words to the losses that you've experienced in 2020. Begin to name those things. And send those to us by the end of O Holy Night. We're going to sing this beautiful song. And then I'm going to come back up and just lead us in kind of just a way to lament together as a community. To, to give voice to your pain, to your struggles, to your loss. And, you know, if you're not in our system, 
that's okay. Get a piece of paper, write it down. Or if your loss doesn't get named, here's what I want you to do. Find somebody this week or find a few somebodies and tell them. Say, I just need to share this thing with you. And, and you know what? Maybe if there are people in our church, great. Then we can all practice saying, I know you're hurting. Thanks for sharing that with me. You're not alone. So grab your phone right now. And kids, this includes you too. I know. I've heard so many of your stories. I know there are things you're missing right now, and we really want to hear them. So send those in, and I'll be back up in just a minute. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.